episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of ChristianGospelChurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, we have had a packed series of investigations into the latter reign and the manifested sons of God, the word of faith, and all of these various splinter groups. And I thought it would be good to just put that on the shelf for a little while. And, um, you know, this is the season, this is Christmas, and be good to pause and just talk about something that was really taboo in all of all of these various groups that splintered off of William Branham's cult, and that is Christmas. It was um, it was very taboo to uh, celebrate Christmas in many of the splinter groups, and um, I don't know how it was in your sect, but I went to churches from South Carolina to Arizona and everywhere in between, and I saw this wide variety of some people celebrated Christmas, some people thought those who celebrated were doomed to hell and everything in between. So how about how about we pause and just talk about Christmas for a while? Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea, John. I, I was thinking that uh, it, it also would be a good topic to touch on. Like you said, it one of the it's one of those topics that's <clears throat> incredibly controversial in the message. Um, and it really don't matter which position we may take on it. We're going to make a, a, a large percentage of the other people in the message uh, angry at us because there's no unity or uh, there's no there's no really uh, universally way in the message to look at this and be accepted. You know, it's, I know in my sect of the message for sure it was that way. This is a topic you just generally didn't talk about because you're going to make somebody mad if you talk about it. So you right. just don't talk about it. You know, is it was it that way in your sect of the message too? It was to the extent that even within my own family, we had, we had you know in the message it's it's almost one step away from prearranged marriage. You've got these people who are marrying each other within the cult, and because you're marrying within the cult, a lot of times you've got people who are in you know different states who go to different churches, different versions of the message sometimes different splinter groups and even in my family we've got we've got families where the spouse was strongly against christmas or christmas trees or presents and then the other spouse that's all they knew growing up so they um you know it's such a controversial subject yeah i i know exactly what you mean so even within my sect of the message the different churches in the different areas had very differing views on Christmas. And, and, and just exactly what you mean, in in my own marriage, John, uh, I married into a family that had different Christmas beliefs than my own. Uh, and that was actually the, really probably the only, um, uh, you know, what's the kind way to say it? It was our first marital problem. <laughs> <laughs> what we were going to do about Christmas. And it was minor, of course, you know, we yeah. got through it. But I, I know, you know, I know exactly what you mean. And and before that, you really just didn't even talk about it. So you almost didn't even know what the other people believe about it. Yeah. Because it, it's, in our part of the message, we, we took a kind of a lazy fair attitude. 
you do what you're going to do with Christmas and don't tell anybody else about it and you'll be okay. That that was kind of our approach. Um, and I kind of feel like William Branham a little bit endorsed that approach in, in, in some versions of his stage persona, as you put it. <laughs> but in others, he was, you're going to go to hell if you celebrate Christmas. <laughs> so it, it kind of depends uh, which which tape you like to listen to more as to maybe yeah. to the Christmas views that you held. You know, it's really odd because, uh, as you know, my family came from the inner circle. So we were what I like to call cult elite. We were the ones who got to, um, you know, experience all the things that many rank and file members did not. And Christmas was this weird thing because my family, my aunts and uncles and father uh, were, you know, close, close friends with the Branham family. They spent time, I mean, hours and hours, weeks, days, months in the Branham home. So they were there during Christmas. They saw the Branham Christmas tree. They saw the presents. William Branham did not live this, um, you know, anti-Christmas life. But then in his stage persona, he would preach so strongly against, you know, anybody who has a tree. And he would talk about the pagan ideas. Well, all of this kind of, um, you know, it created this weird scenario where, now then, all of the cult elites, privately, they'll, you know, have a normal Christmas, but then publicly, they present this image as though they do not. And I'll never forget, for me, the most difficult part of transitioning after leaving the message was the lights outside of our house. When my wife realized that all of this was just, you know, pure hoax, all of this message stuff, she tried to convince me to get lights because she'd never had them. She wanted them. Their family was part of the group that was against Christmas trees. My family had Christmas trees, kind of like you said. Oh, no. are you going to so, tell me you put lights up, John? Oh, my not, goodness. Not the first year. So after okay, we left, all right. them, it took me a while to, I mean, that was just so grilled in my head, right? So I'm putting no lights up. <laughs> I uh, and, and I'll, I'll be honest. I had it. I had it doubly difficult because my father, um, you know, again, we're from the cult elite side. So my father wasn't against the Christmas trees. We had one, and my mother's side was against the Christmas trees. But lights was a whole different ball game. Yeah. That's like the ultimate level of, of Christmas sin. Yeah. Christmas light. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, so for my father, it was more about watching the electric meter spin, right? <laughs> he wanted to keep things, you know, at a minimum cost. But so we braved it. Finally, I don't know how many years. It was two or three years. I finally got brave enough to put Christmas lights and very simple. I didn't want to go, you know, very extravagant but just a string of lights around the top of the house and at night I was so proud of it I put a picture up on social media of my house and the lights and by this time we had all of our you know we were very public in our exit if you didn't already know but um, I, I can't say that the cult did this but when we put the picture up on social media the very next day I go out and not just in one place, but in several places, my light string of lights was cut. And I want to say it was like 20, 30 places. So my, my entire, I was proud of this view of my house. And the next day I'm my heart sank. I'm like, Oh my gosh, 
what do I do? That's really sad. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, I in our part of the message, that was that was the ultimate no-no. So there were limits you could absolutely never go to. Putting lights on the outside of your house, you could, I mean, you you would be excoriated for that because uh, then because then anybody driving past your house knows what you believe right yeah <laughs> you had to if you had christmas any christmas type thing it needed to be more or less kept secret pull your blinds right and do something on the inside that nobody could see uh but if you go putting stuff on the outside of your house then everybody else knows what you believe and uh you're you're you'd be in trouble at that yeah. point yeah we it, it was <clears throat> it was pretty wild some of the some of the stuff like that that would go on. And, and, you know, I I look back and the way William Branham put it in his harsher side of sermons, you know, on this topic, he would, he tended to call everything of historic Christianity just traditions or Babylon or this, that, or the other. And, of course, Christmas is part of, you know, historic or traditional Christianity. And so that was, you know, uh, number one thing he didn't like about it and then of course number two is i and i believe this is fairly universal in the message nobody believes jesus was actually born in december either right um that that was another huge huge thing that they used to you know completely say you should never celebrate christmas jesus was not born in december this was actually some uh pagan holiday to a sun god or something like that i believe is the way yeah yeah you know it's really odd too because In the message, we thought William Branham is the bringer of truth, and he's correcting all of the errors of the church. Well, if you go back and you look at, you know, during this era, there he was not alone in this. And I'll be honest, if he had have been alone in this and was, you know, kicking against the prick, so to speak, he wouldn't have done it because he would have alienated his crowd. He was preaching this because at that time it was very common to be— anti-Christmas, anti-holiday, anti-cheer. Basically, it's a, it's a whole religion of the Grinch, right? And um, William Branham was just preying upon that sentiment that things weren't, um, weren't holy during Christmas. And I always go back to that verse in Colossians now that I've left the message. Let no one tell you, and I'm paraphrasing. You can go read it yourself. But he says, Paul says, let no one tell you that you can't celebrate a holiday. And regardless of whether this holiday is on the right day or whether it's on the right month or whether it was, you know, pagan origin, Paul is referring to holidays of pagan origin that are even worse than what they're talking about here. They were actually sacrificing human beings to these deities on these holidays of the solstice, etc. So Paul is telling you, don't let anybody tell you you can't have a holiday, but don't go sacrifice your children versus William Branham saying, no, you cannot do this, but I'm going to do it at home where nobody can see me. <laughs> yeah, in in our sect of the message, we, we used more or less that same passage of Scripture to say that, you know, we're going to let everybody make up their own mind and everybody can celebrate if they want to, you know, just keep it very modest and humble, right? Um, yeah. Don't get materialistic. Don't get this, that, or the other. 
but then the people who, who didn't, then, of course, they always felt the class above. You know, we're holier than you all. You all are still uh, in pagan traditions or you're, you know, this, that or the other. So there there was always a, a, a two-tier approach about it, right? And the people who didn't celebrate Christmas tended to look very, very narrowly on the people who did, even though they somewhat accepted their right to do it. Uh, but if they caught anything at all that looked the least bit like excess, you're in trouble. You're yeah. in trouble. You're going to be um, outed and someone's going to... At our church, John... Um, I I don't know. I guess you're you're you were in the press play churches, so you I don't know if you had preachers that actually did things like I'm about to describe. Um, the preachers would get in the you know in front of everybody, so you're in a crowd of hundreds of people, and they'll start talking about you know the things that you did specifically, uh, and they'll you know kind of berate you in front of the entire church, right? That's very common, and and it's n- not always by name, um, but they you ever you know who they're talking about, they know who they're talking about, and so does half the people sitting there. So you know you 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 know if someone shot saw you with too many Christmas presents in your cart, right? You're going to get a sermon on materialism, and yeah. you're going to talk about the person who shopped at the same store that you at, was at, and what they saw, and couldn't believe how much money they were wasting on materialism, right? And so, they they would control any sort of excess that that went on, um, yeah, pretty strongly. Yeah. You know, and that's a real problem for this type of religion um, when you've got when you've got this entity that is basically growing and thriving on groupthink. In other words, everybody's trying to conform to become like William Branham says. And then you've got all of these conflicting things that William Branham says to the extent that he himself doesn't even practice what he's preaching. You've got all of these varying ideas and each person, the way the group think works, they, in their minds, they think they're the right ones and everybody else is wrong. Why would you not believe it like me? Because we're in this group think, uh, in our sect of the message, the press play churches, if you will, it was actually a little bit worse than some of the others. Again, I went to churches all across the nation. I've been to churches where they preached. I've been to churches where everybody gathered around and listened to this tape from the 1950s of William Branham berating everybody from his era. And it's always a berating. William Branham, his, his way of preaching was basically to preach against something, not to lift you up. So he, the idea is to break you down so that he can be this, the hero, the savior that can save you from this being broken after he has broken you. Well, then in these churches across the nation, they're doing the same thing. They're breaking people down. And like you said, they will target people, some not often by name. I have actually heard it by name. Uh, my grandfather, <laughs> as a there was a lady who got up and sang a special, and she had, I want to say it was maybe a four-inch slit in the back of her skirt. It, it wasn't even enough to be hardly noticeable, but as she's walking down after singing a special on the platform, grandpa just railed her because she had a quote unquote scandal skirt, because that was one of the things that William Branham berated people for. And if you apply all of this to Christmas, you've got these ministers in the cult and in these splinter groups, you know, not even the message, but some of the latter rain um, you know, churches that were birthed from this thing, 
they have the same pattern of religion. They, they will have people in the church and they'll preach against everything that everybody's doing, trying to break them down so that then they can lift them up to Jesus. That's the structure of these churches. Well, they break you down over Christmas and most, you know, this idea was common in the fifties. It's no longer common because more and people, more people are realizing that Paul says you can, you know, you can celebrate the holidays, but they're, they're practicing this in such a way that people are confused as to what to do. You know what I'm saying? They, do I celebrate? Do I not? You know, there are cases where William Branham says himself, it's for the children, do it for the children. Right. William Branham makes so many conflicting statements, you know, in, in, in his teachings. And I, I think it's almost fair to say there's not a significant thing that William Branham preached that he didn't preach it multiple ways. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you, you can find him preaching multiple ways about Easter. You can find him preaching multiple ways about Christmas. You can find him preaching multiple ways about the week of Daniel, multiple ways about the birth of Christ, multiple ways about the Godhead, of, you know, multiple, whatever you pick, you can find him preaching multiple formulas of salvation, multiple formulas of baptism, multiple form, everything he preached, he preached two and three different ways. Right. Right. And so. You can honestly justify almost anything you want to believe from from his statements. And so it just depends a lot of time, I think, in what people are predisposed to as to what they pick, right? And with Christmas, the same thing. People end up in these uh, strongly on one side or the other. And I, I think that... I think that the average person in there has no idea the depth of the conflicts, right, in what Brother Branham said or preached, right? Nowhere near the depth. In my sect of the message, we acknowledged a lot of the depths of the conflicts of the things that he said, but we nowhere near grasped the true depth of the conflicts of the things that he said. I mean, he was all over the place. And, you know, what that does, that is actually, and William Branham is directly responsible for this, that is more than anything responsible for almost all of the divisions in the message, all of the so many, many, many terrible things have happened as a result of William Branham making all of these conflicting statements, you know. Families are broken up. People are divorced. People have died as a result of these misstatements. People get so to the point that they're almost ready to fistfight each other, and some of them have, over these conflicting statements that William Branham made. Like, it's it get, becomes life and death. Yeah for some of these people. And it's the same with Christmas, right? So you've got these some people that are holding on to the Christmas is going to send you to hell directly to hell <laughs> version of William Branham's statements and then others who are holding to the you need to do it for your kids and love your kids statement, right? So it's it it just creates this terrible conflict and so, and and so with the Christmas stuff, this is one of the few ones where you got both people in our churches, both people holding both views sitting in the same church, right? And William Branham endorsed both and we're all trying to get along. And so our rules are all in our sect were all designed about trying to not turn this into a massive conflict. Yeah. I think the biggest problem that I have with it, you know, Christmas itself, even if after leaving the message and going to a quote-unquote normal church, you find that Christmas is this subject that is, um, in today's world, Christmas has became 
way hyper commercialized. So you'll find ministers saying many of the same things that William Branham said in modern, you know, normal churches. But the difference that I can see is it's, it literally comes down to, does the church preach the gospel? And the gospel in its simplicity is Jesus came, died for your sins, came to save you, came to, you know, to heal the broken wounds that the law had oppressed people and people were just, you know, the law failed according to the Bible and people were oppressed under the law. So Jesus came and showed a better way. If you read the book of Hebrews, it basically says, now we have a better way. The difference is churches that preach the gospel will tell you that Christmas has became hyper, hyper commercialized. I mean, they're, they're right now, they're playing Christmas music in Halloween. It's that bad. You go to some stores, they're trying to get you into this mode of buying for Christmas. That's what stores do. And it's all marketing. I understand, I understand the business side of what they're doing. But the problem is people are losing focus of what Christmas was for, regardless of whether it was the right date, the wrong date. I, I'm not even going to try to address that. Uh, question in this podcast, but people have lost focus about what Christmas is about. It's about celebrating the birth of Jesus, which as Christians should be the greatest holiday out of all of the holidays in the world. And you don't find ministers who are preaching the gospel saying, don't celebrate the birth of the founder of our religion. You know what I'm saying? It it was uh it, it had a lot to do with the fact that we didn't believe Jesus was born in December. Now William Branham again one sermon William Branham says Jesus was born in October. Another yeah. sermon said he was born in April. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, again, there is not a single thing that William Branham preached consistent <laughs> on. So in in our sect of the message after William Branham died, we went with the uh, our our fir- our pastor Raymond Jackson went with the October date. So we we believe Jesus was born, you know, roughly on Halloween <laughs> in our sect of the message. Um, and so here's this is this is a funny story, John, actually, looking back. It, 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 it made me cry at one point. It's a funny story now. Um, so in our sect of the message, we had a really complex end of day calculations um, that counted down to the end of the world, the. And the sect I come from, the world is supposed to end at about 17 times now. I'm exaggerating slightly, but um, <laughs> I think I think uh, the world is supposed to have been ex- ended about nine times now, basically, wow. in the sect of the message I was in. But anyways, all of it starts with, with particular calculations, which, you know, we hung on our wall that Raymond Jackson had come up with. And the starting point for all of the calculations is the birth of Jesus, right, based on the October... <laughs> birth of Christ. <laughs> so after Raymond Jackson died, some years went by our next pastor, he changed the birth of Jesus to April. And and nobody even <laughs> noticed. And it just and it and all of the calculations went They're sideways. <laughs> and in my mind, like my head is exploding like how in the world do I make sense of all of this? Wow. Because to us that was like central to all of our end of the world ideas. And of course we didn't believe the world would end, but we believe that was the time that the end would usher in, I guess, you know, when Christ would return and the week of Daniel and all of the you know, the cannon fodder stuff that you would believe in your you know, that kind of stuff would happen. Yeah. But yeah, so we we went from 
you know, William Brennan preached it both ways. We, most of our life, believed the October way, and then we switched to the April way, um, you know, in more recent years in our sect of the message. But the message, even, there is no consistency on any of this anywhere. Yeah. And it goes back to William Branham preaching wildly different things. Yeah. And you know, it's really odd, too, when you think about it, because... Even in the Gospels, the birth of Jesus is a significant part of the Gospels. God sent his only beloved son, the reason why we call ourselves Christians. And in the churches that preach, instead of playing the tapes, the ones that preach against celebrating, um, most of them that I've heard are preaching against Christmas because it was the April date. And they say, we can't celebrate Jesus. The world is wrong. So we can't celebrate with the other Christians because it happened on April. But then in April, they don't celebrate Jesus' birth, right? They they hold yeah. the normal Easter services. And it's like they have forgotten that Jesus was born. You know what I'm saying? We didn't even celebrate. Easter was totally taboo for us, too. Ta- Easter was more taboo than uh, Christmas. So wow. we didn't do Easter either in uh, in because that's not when Jesus really died either. You know, we had all we did, you know, follow the same logic. But yeah. So you all celebrated Easter, John, in your sect of the message. <laughs> I guess you did because you all was down or they was down there around that grave every Easter waiting for the prophet to resurrect. I, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Easter was a big deal because when William Branham died, there were several prophecies that were supposed to happen before he died. And I I know some of this history because, you know, my family was was deeply involved in this, but um the cult itself was about to implode. The prophet died, his prophecies didn't happen that were supposed to happen before he died. And um so it it appears what happened is that my grandfather and one other person got together and tried to decide how do we hold all of this together. And so they presented the notion that William Branham is going to rise from the dead on Easter. And they held the body from the grave. William Branham died December 1965. And, you know, Easter 1966, they held the body for that long. And they claimed that it was because of... Um, you know, they said that William Branham's wife was too badly injured, but yet the newspaper report says she's doing fine. And, you know, there, there's this big confusion. Why did they hold the body? Well, at, at minimum, I can say that a rumor was spread and my grandfather was part of it that William Branham was going to rise from the dead on Easter. So instead of thinking about the prophecies that failed, their minds were focused on he's going to rise and then the end of the world is going to come. So people truly believed in 1966 that William Branham would rise. And when he did, that was going to begin the global resurrection of the dead from the Bible. And so Easter is widely celebrated in the main sect of the message because everybody comes to Easter to celebrate the resurrection of William Branham instead of the resurrection of Christ. <laughs> and it seems like they usually have a really good catered meal there. I've never been, but... Uh, <laughs> it's an excellent meal. <laughs> yes, I, I've seen the caterers come in several years, and I know the restaurant there. I love that. So if you want a good meal, uh, you know, you can go to the resurrection service for William Branham every Easter. I'm sure they'll give you a nice plate of food. Yeah. But it was really odd when you think about it, because my grandfather was one that said... The birth happened at Easter or, you know, you know, towards the Easter months in April or whatever. 
but yet they're celebrating Easter on Jesus's birthday and none of it just real none of it made sense when you walk away from it. And and the way it all lines up too, okay, we're going to see William Branham resurrect on Easter like it all has this implicit underlying theme that William Branham is more than your average man, right? Yeah. <laughs> put it that way. Simply put, we were publicly told now in private again some of the cult elites celebrated christmas but we were publicly told don't celebrate christmas but yet all of the things of william branham we were supposed to celebrate so in other words don't celebrate jesus but let's all celebrate william branham now while while approximately 50 percent of the message is um not having anything to do with Christmas, you know, not giving any presents to their kids, not putting up a Christmas tree, um, not watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like completely <laughs> staying away. So half the people believe that's absolutely pagan and you're going to go to hell if you do it. Um, William Branham has the most immaculate looking Christmas tree in his living room with a great big pile of presents under it, right? And which he personally decorated. Uh, and put up every year from yes. from everything that I've heard and understood. I've heard I've known multiple people too, John, who've been in his house, who saw his beautiful tree, and he. I've heard stories of people actually walking in while he was doing the decorating of the tree, and how he was so careful just to put the ornaments on mm -hmm. and get everything evened out. Like he took a whole lot of pride in his yeah. Christmas tree. He did. My family, like I said, my family spent hours inside the Branham home. They had televisions, they had the Christmas tree, they had the gifts. They celebrated like normal they lived like normal people. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a wild thing, you know, and I, I again I don't think a lot of people in the message grasp truly the way that the Branham family lived their lives while William Branham was still living. Um, you know, one one of the things about cults is that the leaders don't follow their own rules typically, right? They tend to make really strict rules, Yeah. but the leaders don't follow their own rules. And that is so true with William Branham. I mean, you look at Christmas. I mean, he... Everything he told his people in some of his sermons was pagan traditions that was, uh, you know, damnable heresy or damnable this or the other. He was doing every stitch of it and more himself yeah. <laughs> at his house. It, it, it It's just, uh, it's outrageous, honestly. And so while he's expecting some segment of his followers to to adhere to this really strict line of thinking, he himself is not willing to, to do it himself. Uh, and he's that way with so many things, John. It's just so ironic, you know, when you look back. So many things that he was just so hypocritical on. I think the element that is missing is that we have the recordings of William Branham that they allow us to have, obviously. The, <laughs> there were more. But we have a set of about 1,200 sermons, approximately. <clears throat> and what we have is, by and large, the main speaker of an event— but he was not the only speaker at an event. So you would have all of these other speakers that were rallying the crowds and building up their emotion, breaking them down, you know, toying with their minds, basically. And so William Branham would follow up behind this. And if he's coming to the platform preaching after a person who has just berailed the people who are celebrating Christmas, and he watched the crowd get all you know, into this hype of <laughs> condemning Christmas. 
Well, once they're in that hype, the main speaker's job is to take that hype and accelerate it even further. So that's why you see if he's if he's following up behind a preacher who has just preached this fabulous Trinitarian sermon and talking about accepting accepting the Holy Spirit into your hearts, the third person, the Trinity, will you see William Branham coming behind this saying, we who have accepted the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So it applies to Christmas. If he's holding a Christmas meeting and he's going to, you know, anti-Christmas meeting, he's going to follow up with an anti-Christmas sermon. But as you know, there are even some of William Branham's campaign managers who even publicly in their literature celebrated Christmas. Oh yeah. I mean, Christmas was uh, Christmas is wide is widely celebrated in broader Pentecostalism. Like there's no no problem with it. And even his even, you know, his magazines, Voice of Healing, ran a Christmas edition every single year. So there's a, a Christmas edition of Voice of Healing every year, right? Um Herald of Faith <laughs> runs a Christmas edition right. almost every year, right? Yeah. Uh so so his his primary publicity tools, his primary publicity sources are all about Christmas, and they capitalize on celebrating Christmas and publicizing Christmas every single year in the in his in William Branham's publicity. And if you open these magazines and read them, uh, page one and two of every one of these magazines about William Branham. So yeah. here is Christmas scenes followed, yeah, immediately by William Branham saying stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, William Branham's son Joseph is on the cover of the Herald of Faith. Um, I know he's in some of the. In the article is on the inside, but I think that's also, yeah, so he's... I have it right here. <laughs> that's Joseph on the front of it. So not only did William Branham not practice what he preached, he was celebrating Christmas, he was taking it to the, to the extent that he was t- putting his own family on the front of the covers of Christmas magazines. Yeah, it, it it's incredible stuff. And, you know, when I, I step back... I, I try to there's when you're in the message you just can't do this but when you can start to think clearly you know you start to you can start to ask yourself a question okay William Branham told us all that we're pagans if we celebrate Christmas and but William Branham had a Christmas dream presence and did it all right <laughs> um, William Branham told us we're you know it's all terrible sin if girls cut their hair but William Branham's daughters cut their hair. Uh, he told us, you know, all the girls need to dress modest, but all his daughters wore skirts above their knees. Yeah. You know, you know, the, uh, there's photos that you'll have to, I've got a photo, I guess I'm looking up here on the screen, John, and you'll have to put it up there for the people. But, but William Branham's family did not even follow the holiness rules, right? William Branham's, William Branham and his own son both wore shorts, right? William Branham and his family, the boys in his family wore shorts. Shorts are prohibited in the message. I have never owned a pair of shorts in my life, John. Okay. I still don't own a pair of shorts. Um, <laughs> you know, because you can't wear shorts in yeah. the message. My father was playmates with Joseph Branham, my uncle with Billy Paul Branham, and the Branham family wore shorts. As, as children, they wore shorts. Uh, a lot and then even as adults like if they went swimming or you know there were activities where they wore shorts so I was raised my family um, kind of separated from the main body for a period of time and we 
lived out where there weren't really a lot of message people. And I was, I had shorts until I was probably 13 or 14. And this, this was common because my peers who I visited with also message people who had shorts as, as children because the Branham family had shorts. Again, I'm in the cult elite side of this thing. William Branham himself wore shorts. I mean, it's, it's that night and day difference from what the cult believes. So I, I had it basically. And then once I, once I became an adult, I was, you know, that was also part of the cult elite. Don't wear them in public where people, other message believers can see that you're wearing them. Do it in secret, right? <laughs> right. So, so, so William Branham and his sons wore shorts. Um, William Branham, so here's another thing. So, you know, beards, facial hair is totally, I mean, totally taboo. <laughs> but there's there's pictures of William Branham with this, with this 19, you know, this, this 1920s, 30s mobster style mustache. Yeah, yeah. You got to show that one. And, and, and then, there, I mean, I've. There's pictures of him with full beards too. Right. What in the world, right? So, so how how do we how does he get away with all that? And then um, you you can also find um, you know like I mentioned pictures of of his wife and his daughters with skirts above their knees, you know, showing off way too much. You talk about yeah. a scandal skirt, John. Boy, they would <laughs> in the message. That's a scandal shirt. You can scandal skirt. You can see their knees. I mean, in my part of the message, you. Most people wouldn't even show their ankles, but yeah. <laughs> they're showing their knees and their hair is clearly been cut. I mean, my goodness. So here, I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, because William Branham said, you know, and this is word for word, you need to get a barrel slat and and take a barrel slat to people who do these things, right? I wonder, I don't think he was taking a barrel slat to his family, John, but that's what he told the people to do in his church. You know, it's it's a funny story. Now, I'm, I'm going to preface this with, I no longer think this way. This was wrong. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong by any means. This was horrific that I said this, but I did. Every year around Christmas time, See, again, we grew up kind of, you know, from coast to coast. I'm influenced by all kinds of different message churches. And the ones that I grew up in did not know that it was wrong to have a beard. In the main body, in the main sect of the message, yes, it was wrong. You're not supposed to have a beard. But I didn't know this. I had no idea. And every year around Christmas time, I always grew a little beard, neatly trimmed, just a small beard. When my family moved back here and um, <laughs> when we moved to Jeffersonville, my aunt and uncle were up talking to me and they were abhorred that I had facial hair. I mean, I, I, could, I could have smacked them in the face and they would have been less surprised than seeing my beard. And so my aunt begins to tell me this story how, you know, my husband, my uncle, had facial hair and he was growing a beard and brother Branham said that was wrong. So one night I woke up in the middle of the night while he was asleep and I shaved his beard off while he was asleeping. And I looked at her straight in the eye and I said, and again, this is wrong. I looked her straight in the eye and I said, well, if my wife did that, I'd whoop her with a barrel slat. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, it, we can kind of joke about it, but it's also incredibly serious, right? And so, so in my in, in my church, I witnessed this. I I know firsthand all everything I'm about to tell. 
so there was a, a particular man who came to church who had a came in with a beard and he was you know typical practice the preacher at the platform let him have it blasted him in front of you know hundreds of people he went home and shortly thereafter committed suicide john oh no um as and and i always wonder you know how how much of the harassments that happen to these people contribute to things like that right you know and it these things in the message, I know we can, it, it is funny, you know, to talk about the, you know, the stories, but the, these things are carried out to the point that people die. People die in the message for not following these rules, right? Yeah. It's very, very serious, right? And so it's, uh, I, I can laugh about a lot of the funny things, but then I also, uh, I also realize it is, it is deadly in the message. These things become deadly in the message and it, it's, it's terrible. And who's to blame? Right. Who's to blame? Who who's the one who came up with these ideas that you can't? Okay, so you take a beard, right? Let I think Jesus had a beard, didn't he, John? I mean, he <laughs> certainly does appear in my uh, Hoffman head of Christ picture, the one that's hanging up in all the message churches. I mean, was Jesus a sinner? Like what in the world? It, but it don't make any sense, right? When you think logically about it, but in the message, it makes they'll. They will drive. They don't care what happens. They will do whatever it takes to harass you and bring you into compliance with the rules. Yeah, it is a very serious thing, and I don't want to bring us down on our holiday cheer episode. <laughs> but suicide is a big problem in the message. I've I have had friends who have died who have committed suicide. I have family who have committed suicide, and you know you. You can't specifically say that it was only the message that caused it. it mental health is a big problem. Mental health right. in the message is a big problem. What you can say is that this type of religion that just plays tug of war with your brain and is under authoritarian control accelerates the mental health problems. It makes it worse. Right. They don't acknowledge mental health issues as actual health issues, right? No. You're possessed by a demon or something like that. And there's no concept that you need to go to a doctor and get some help. No, we need yeah. to beat the devil out of you. That's well, in some cases, to. they actually, I've been to churches where they actually preach sermons about taking medication for mental health. And they said, that medication is the devil. I have seen time and again, someone get on that medication and they leave the message. And... It's it's horrific. I mean, I went through a series of very, very severely traumatic issues. Um, I, I don't talk about this much, but I have a cousin who um, talked me out of committing suicide. So it's a big deal. I know personally what it's like. And I was told by a minister, he actually took me out to lunch and told me, do not take the medication or you'll leave the message. Ironically... There was a period of time while I was in the message that I needed the medication. And ironically, after leaving the message, I, I did leave the message because I took, not because I took the medication, but I took the medication and I left the message. But what's interesting is after, you know, a year or two of being out of this authoritarian control and this, you know, internal conflicts of a religion, I, I've not needed it since about 2013. So it's, it is a very serious thing. And when I first started my website, I want to say within two weeks, I had people emailing me and saying, you know, I was 
highly suicidal. People had attempted several times, and they said, now I've, I've come across this information, and I realize what they did to my head and why I'm like this. And some of those same people, all of the same people are alive, but some of those same people went on to help other people who had mental health. So, again, not to drag us down on the holiday cheer episode, but this holiday thing that they're doing with people's heads, telling people it's wrong while they themselves are doing these things that they say are wrong. This causes mental health issues to accelerate. Yeah. Something else. You know, one, one thing that I have been curious, you know, what, this is the one thing I decided I'd try to figure out for this episode. When did the message people generally stop celebrating Christmas and where did the influence to do that come from? Like that was one thing I was, I thought I'd, you know, just look a little bit and I, I don't have a definitive answer, but I'll, I I believe that, from what I can tell, the majority of people from Pentecostal and traditional Christian backgrounds coming into the message all still continued to celebrate Christmas. Um, the The prohibition against Christmas comes from Jehovah Witness influence into the message, actually. Yeah. Uh, that is where those ideas come from. And as you know, there were a number of former Jehovah Witnesses at the Branham Tabernacle, um, and in and in other places, and we know they were incorporating Charles Taze Russell's writings um, into the formulation of Latter Rain doctrines, and so the Latter Rain side of things had a fairly strong Jehovah Witness influence, actually, um, and it's actually those Jehovah Witness influences that are um, really coming down strong against the celebration of Christmas and. I think that it's primarily that element of people that William Branham was catering to with his anti-Christmas remarks. Um, Jehovah Witnesses are really the only other, I don't know if mainstream is the right word, large group of <laughs> professed Christians <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who um, actually prohibit the celebration of Christmas. They're, they're really the only other ones out there that, that, and do it in the exact same way that we do. They use the exact same verses against Christmas trees. They use the exact same verses to say this is not when Christ was born. They use the exact same logic that this is a teaching of Babylonian confusion. Like they are the ones that use that language. Um, and, and because the language is so similar and the rationales are identical, I, I really tend to believe it's primarily the Jehovah Witness influence into the message that um, led to the widespread prohibition of Christmas. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, their influence did have a deep impact on William Branham's theology, especially in the later years. <clears throat> I tried to also piece together, you know, some of this history. This is a history podcast, so I'm trying to piece together history. It's really hard because when you have a man who is preaching one thing to one group and preaching another thing to another group and doing that, that's the only consistent thing in the message is that there's inconsistency. So throughout time you find, you know, I'm against Christmas. I'm for it. You can't have it for your kids, but I'm going to have it for my kids. Uh, I like to see the little kids with smiling faces with presents and those kids who are smiling f faces with presents are <laughs> celebrating the devil. I mean, when it's that wide variety, it's hard to pinpoint a time that the entire cult shifted. But if you take a step back from the Christmas, I think this is my opinion. There's no way to prove this, obviously, but <clears throat> my opinion 
during the early years of William Branham's ministry, when he was widely accepted into churches, it was an everyone is welcome. We're all Christians. Let's join together as one. It was all a unity thing, you know, and that started from the early years. You see it, 1945. He, he even says, if someone draws you out of their circle, draw a bigger circle and draw them back into it. So in other words, if they believe differently than you, let's just join together as Christians. We're building this movement. We're building this hate to say it, we're building this cult. So let's join everybody together. Well, over time, people started discontinuing fellowship with William Branham over heretical doctrines and white supremacy, etc. The height of which was, we haven't got to this history yet, and I'm, I'm like chomping at the bits, but the civil rights movement and the anti- integration of schools played a huge factor in what would become the message cult. And the climax of this was when William Branham's mentor and partner in various ways, Roy E. Davis, was in Dallas at the time that Kennedy was assassinated and was leading the protests against integration in the Dallas school system. Whenever Kennedy was assassinated, this massive federal investigation happened. And you can't say that it was because of this, but you can say that it was along with this. William Branham appears to have completely lost his mind around 1963. He had suffered mental health issues leading up to this, and he mentions it on recording. But in 1963, he's lost all of his support. The feds are really cracking down on Roy Davis and anybody connected to him, which would have included him. Um, you've got, you know, it, it felt like literally to him, it would have felt like the walls are closing in. I'm losing all my supporters. I've got this little tight group of people. I'm just like Jim Jones, the government's against us, and we've got this little small unit. So around 1963, he starts to lose it. And that's whenever it becomes no longer a everybody's welcome religion. It's a let's preach against every single person who has discontinued fellowship with me, including Christians who celebrated Christmas. Yeah, he it, it really is something how it all kind of uh, developed and built out, you know, he was trying broad appeal. And it, as the years go by and his broad appeal dies he tends to come to cater more and more to this loyalist core group that he has right and i think that and we've heard this from quite a few people as, as you come into these dwindling years william branham becomes more and more strident more and more cultic more and more extreme right right and a lot of that has to do with the people who are left with him a lot of them are very extreme themselves and are influencing him uh and he's counter influencing them back yeah something else yeah so back to the christmas episode you've got all of these wide variety of beliefs another interesting one that i have seen in the message sect um i've seen this in the main sect even there are people who will let their kids celebrate specifically because William Branham said, I like to see the kids light up, my, my children, whenever I give them presents. So 
torn with this conflict and trying to make it all fit together, which it can't. So there are some people in the message that will say, let's let our children celebrate, but we as adults can't do this because the prophet said no. Did you have anything like that in your sect of the message? So my family was was quite divided on this topic, my you know, myself. So I we had we had times so there were years when Christmas parts of the family Christmas was totally prohibited. There was zero Christmas. Uh, and it was generally because, well, there's no small kids this year, right? So no tree, no nothing. Um, but if if it was, you know, a year and there was going to be some kids around, well, then they would do some level of Christmas something for the sake of the kids. Yeah, so we, we had that same uh, thoughts in some parts of my family, yeah. Yeah. And and also, I know the same, you know, with with other people in there, right? You know, if there's, you know, if there's children around, for the sake of the children, they would do some kind of Christmas Christmas thing um, privately, you know, outside of the church, you know, behind closed doors, hidden off, and nobody tells anybody else. <laughs> but the uh, generally, though, people tended to be either all in or um, all in as far as it's pagan and we're not doing it at all, or they tended to have some kind of a regular scaled down something that they did secretly every year. Um, towards the, as the years went by though, I'll say our sect of the message shifted. Um, when I was, when I was younger, it was entirely, Christmas was a taboo topic. You just did not even talk about Christmas other than to say, you know, don't be extreme and Jesus wasn't born then and those kind of things. But as time went on, a larger and larger percentage of our people um, were celebrating Christmas. And and towards the last few years, John, some people actually gave out Christmas cards in the church. Can you believe that? I know, yeah. So it, it had there was there was some people who were actually giving out Christmas cards in the church building the last the last number of years. Um wow. and uh yeah. So it 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 shifted over time quite a bit, but when you back from the '60s, '70s, '80s, even into the early and mid, maybe even the late '90s, Christmas was was taboo. But the the really the change up maybe started happening late '90s and into the early 2000s in our sect of the message that Christmas became gradually more accepted. So to wrap this up, Charles, we've got um, you know our target audience is are people who are interested in learning more about the message and the splinter groups and how it impacted Christianity as a whole. But we also have a large number of listeners who are either people who are in the message or people who have left. And I'll guarantee you that even after listening to this, some of them, because it's so deeply programmed into their being, they'll still be, have difficulty celebrating Christmas. There'll still be, thoughts in their head of the things that William Branham said against Christmas and presents and trees, even though he himself, you know, celebrated these things. So I thought it would be good if we wrap up by just talking about, let's examine the pagan idea a bit and then see what Paul has to say about it. And I'll read what Paul says in Colossians directly. I'm reading the King James Version, but I recommend, you know, the ESV, some of the newer translations so that you can easier you can understand it more easily but paul said let no man therefore judge you in meat drink 
or in respect of a holy day or a new moon of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the bodies of Christ. And I want to talk about the new moon, the holy day, and um, the meat and the drink, because it's actually very critical to understanding the majority of the cult's mindset against Christians celebrating Christmas because it's quote-unquote from the sun god. So if you understand the sun god and you understand ancient cultures, ancient civilizations, how it worked, and you can find this globally around the world. It's in the pyramids. It's in the um, you know pyramids around the globe, not even just the Great Pyramid, but it's also in the um, Stonehenge. It's in various temples around the world. They celebrate the solstices, the times in which the sun is the strongest, because many of them were sun god cults, moon cults, and they they measure the distance because it's related to their harvest. It's related to when you plant, when the crops grow, how well the crops are going to grow, etc. So that was a big, a big part of their worship. Well, back then, worship of the deities was also tied to politics. So not only was it part of their culture as a um, civilization worshiping a pagan god, it was also part of the city. The city, each city would represent a god. So what would happen is whenever they would have these new moons or these Sabbaths, you know, literally celebrating the birth of the sun god, they would have celebrations. It was a holy day. And Paul said, let no one tell you that you can't eat meat or drink inside of a holy day. Well, see, back then, the early Christians had this had a a bigger conflict than we have because of William Branham because they they grew up in these religions that literally sacrificed human beings and then they would feast after the sacrifice and a a large number of the sun god cults practice human sacrifice it's a big 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 deal right but as part of the celebration of the city everybody celebrating And then there were these groups of Christians that tried to make themselves be holy on their own. In other words, not look to Jesus Christ to make you holy, but what can we do to become more holy than the rest of the city? And they would isolate themselves and they would avoid eating with these holy days that everybody else in the city is. So here you've got this wide group of people who are potential converts to Christianity and you've got this little group that's isolating themselves like a cult and everybody else in the city is like, well, why would I want your religion? (laughs) You guys are isolating yourselves like a extremist cult, more extreme than our cult. And it's, it's even to the extent it's even no fun to be in your cult. So Paul comes along and he says, let no one tell you that you can't celebrate the Holy day or the Sabbath or the new moons. He is, He is literally speaking against every single one of these ministers in all of these message and splinter group churches who are saying, don't celebrate Christmas because it's worship of the sun God. Yeah, I I personally go down the route of Romans chapter 14, um, where um, Paul says, one man esteemeth one day above another, 
another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And I, I like that. Let every man yeah. be fully persuaded in his own mind. And I um, am of the belief that <clears throat> people can choose to do what they want to do, and it's none of my business. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and God don't care one way or the other. So that that's how I, I've, I've come, you know, look at this. And Paul, you know, again, just like you mentioned there in Colossians, in Romans 12, it's very clear Paul is specifically speaking about holidays. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let everyone be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regards it unto the Lord. He that regards it not not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth the Lord gives the Lord thanks, and he that eateth not, eateth not for the Lord. None of us lives or dies to himself. Right? And so um, it goes on to say, you know, so why judge your brother one way or the other? So we... I'm I'm of the opinion let people make up their own mind what they want to do and uh the 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 rule in the bible is as I see it is not the rule is not um that christmas is or should not be celebrated should or should not be celebrated the rule is people get to make up their own mind and so when we and so that that's where I fall so long as we let people give people the freedom to make up their mind, then that's fine. It's but it's when you cross the line and you start to turn um, things that you know the Bible tells you you have the right to make up your own mind about, and we start taking away your right to make up your mind, then we have you know went against the Bible. So I mentioned earlier, I I suffered through some severe depression. My cousin helped me. Um, I'm deeply remembering him right now. He died of COVID last year. But he um, he was talking me through this while I was in the message. I was I was a William Branham believer, and he was literally he literally saved my life. And he was not a message believer. And um, I'm trying not to cry. I, I I will do this. But he um, I asked him one day, why don't you believe William Branham? And he said, John, I believe the cowboy religion. He, I said, what's that, Marcus? And he said, love God, love your neighbors that aren't trying to kill you, and be kind to animals. <laughs> and at the time, I was thinking, well, he didn't mention William Branham in this. He's going to hell. <laughs> but the the longer I, the further I distance myself from this cult, the more I realize how much more he understood about life and the Bible than I, as this little message believer, believed. It's literally down to the way I see it is this difference. In a non-cult church that believes the gospel, they believe that Jesus is the one who saves you. And they celebrate Christmas because Jesus came to earth and Jesus, God sent his only begotten son, right? So they're looking to Jesus to save you. Versus in the cult, they try to put all of these weights on your shoulders of these things that you do to save yourself. In other words, Jesus is powerless to save unless you don't do Christmas, unless you wear these things that make you look like you're Pentecostal in the 50s or you know, so on and so forth. They, they add these rules that you're literally trying to save yourselves, which this is a Christmas episode, Charles. This is why Jesus came. This is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas. I'm no preacher, but I can tell you that I would prefer to speak about the things that 
celebrate Jesus versus the things that are designed to restrain you from celebrating the birth of Christ. Right. And let me let me read one quote from William Branham here. <clears throat> William Branham says here, um, there is just only about a minute difference in the day when it passes from the 25th of December, the sun god's birthday, not the son of God. And every one of us play Santa Claus and decorate trees, heathenism, and things like that. And then we call ourselves Christians? What's the matter with the Christian church? You know, William Branham made statements like that where you, it's very clear he's saying you cannot celebrate Christmas, you cannot have a tree, you cannot have an image of Santa Claus and be a Christian. That is clearly what he's saying right there. That is a gross sin, actually, according to the Bible. What William Branham is doing there is committing the sin that that Apostle Paul outlined in Romans 14, also in the book of Colossians. He is sinning against every person in his church and every person that hears that statement. William Branham has sinned against them, right? And this is the thing that we do in the message. We give William Branham an out for everything. William Branham had no right to tell people what they could and could not do. He had to give them the ability to make up the mind themselves, right? And for him to take people who are exercising their convictions and tell them they can't be a Christian because they don't agree with his view on a holy day um, is a gross sin, right? And so William Branham don't get a pass for these things um, just because of anything that you know people come up with to give people passes. William Branham don't give it a pass for this. This is a sinful thing that William Branham was preaching when he told people they could not celebrate Christmas and could not be Christians. And, and celebrate Christmas. This is sinful that what William Brandon preached and did on this topic. And unfortunately, he did that on many, many topics. And it's hard when you're in the message to acknowledge that and realize that and say that out loud. William Branham was preaching sin. William Branham was preaching sin. You know, you're right, Charles. I, I think I'll end with this. For anyone who's struggling with the notion of celebrating Christmas after leaving the cult of William Branham, or even if you're in the cult and you're now torn because what do I do? William Branham celebrated and told me not to. The book of James, it talks about people who are double-minded, and that's what we're seeing here exactly. We've got William Branham who's double-minded. He's telling you to not to celebrate while he and his family are doing it. And I'm reading this in the New uh, International Version, but... It says, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So I think to wrap this up, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say that William Branham's religion is worthless. He did say some good things, but I will say it's worthless for somebody to condemn others for things that they're doing to be double-tongued, like the book of James is clearly talking about in many verses besides this one. But think of the children. Even William Branham said, think of the children. I'm trying to picture a life for my children that did not involve the joy that they had each year and still have each year when they come in and they see all of the things that we're celebrating and the presents, you know, to a kid, they don't understand the reason why we're celebrating, but this present that they get 
it's, it's a big part of their life. They enjoy it and that sticks in their mind. And then when they become adults and they learn why you're celebrating, now you've just planted the seeds that's going to grow into this wonderful thing. Why would you take this joy away from them? But not only that, why would you take this opportunity to train them in the way in which to live? It's, it's a golden opportunity to train children. So I think to wrap this up, Charles, I, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And um, I, I hope everybody, I hope something in this has helped them to celebrate and to enjoy themselves. And um, I just, from my family to yours, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Well, thanks, John. I, I've really enjoyed this episode, too. And I've, uh, I, I think the, you know, the, the key for me is people can make up their own mind. Just like the Apostle Paul said, let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind and give each other the liberty and freedom to do and follow your own convictions on this topic. Um, and it, it's, it's when we start to condemn each other for things that we have freedom over, that's really when we start to sin against each other, which is exactly the kind of a thing that William Branham introduced with his sermons, uh, starting judging people and condemning people over things which is their perfect right and freedom uh, in Christ to do. Um, I, I think if, if, if anyone's listened to me carefully through this, you probably don't know what I do for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm practicing what I preach. Uh, I'm not uh, persuading one way or the other. Uh, you, you're free to do what you want. And I will say to you all, happy holidays from my family to yours as well. If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. And from our families to your families, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.